Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. Let me call our attention to Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter number 10. We're going to begin looking at the last one-third of uh, the chapter. And uh, in doing so, there are two subjects that are dealt with here in this chapter. And one of them is a warning, and that's what we're going to deal with this morning. We'll deal with the, uh, the blessings this evening, uh, but we're going to deal with the warning this morning. Uh, in preparation of this, I did listen to uh, some preaching on this subject matter, and one particular preacher was uh, using this passage of Scripture, and he began to uh, preach where we're going to pick up, but he was going down through the entire chapter. And in his introduction, he made the statement, he said, you pray that I can move quickly through the warning so that we can get to the good stuff at the end. Uh, he said, you pray for that. He, and he made the statement, he said, many of you have been praying for that for long now, talking about his other messages. And he said, he asked them, what do I do now? He said, just pray harder. So, but we are going to be dealing this morning with uh, a warning uh, that the writer of the book of Hebrews is giving. And this warning is don't draw back, not to draw back. And uh, as we look at this passage of Scripture this morning, uh, we'll, we'll get into some of the things that cause this uh, so many times to be a questionable passage when it comes to eternal security. And we're going to look at some of that as we go through this passage of Scripture. In verse number 26 of chapter number 10, the Bible said, For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite upon the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense saith the Lord, 
And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Let's pray. Father, again, as we look into this passage of Scripture, I pray that you would give us clarity of thought. Lord, I pray that things that sometimes seem cloudy in this passage of Scripture, may you allow us to see them clearly. I pray, God, that you would give us clarity of thought, clarity of speech, and Lord, in doing so, give us clarity of understanding. Lord, we ask you this this morning that you illumine your word. Lord, that you let it shine forth in our hearts. And Lord, may it do in our midst what you would have it to be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we come to the fourth of five warnings that we find in the book of Hebrews, uh, these warnings... Uh, We've already looked at three of them. We've looked at in chapter number two, verse number one through four, we looked at the warning of neglect, not to neglect. In chapter three, verse seven through chapter four, verse 13, we looked at the warning of unbelief. Then we looked at the warning of stagnation in chapter five, verse 11 through chapter six, verse number 12. This morning we are looking at this matter of willful sin, that that there's a warning from the author, and it is in chapter 10, verse 26 through 31. There will be one remaining warning that we will cover in the days ahead, and that is refusal to obey. Understand that the writer of Hebrews gives us blessings and then gives us warnings, or in turn gives us warnings and then gives us blessings. There are warnings that we find, and probably the one in chapter number 5, verse number 11, through chapter number 6 and verse number 12, and this one that we find this morning, the one on willful sin, are the two that are noted as the warnings of apostasy. They become a problem sometimes for people in the light of eternal security. They become a problem because some of the wording that takes place here, and we're going to look at that and look into that as we go down through this passage of Scripture. Warning number four says for us not to persist in deliberate sin or willful sin. Persistent, deliberate sin shows contempt for Christ and His sacrifice and will be judged, according to this passage of Scripture, will be judged without mercy as apostasy. For us to understand, we need to look at and and consider, as I've already said, that chapter number 6 and chapter number 10 are the two that are known for apostasy. They especially are difficult because of the language. And it seems as though that 
they are talking about believers. We're going to see this morning as we look into this passage of Scripture, we're going to see that this passage of Scripture is not talking about believers. It's talking about unbelievers. And we'll see that as we get into it. Since we believe in eternal security, that's where the problem comes in when people misunderstand or misconstrue or misinterpret or mispreach this passage of Scripture. The specific warning here relates to perishing in willful sin. Perishing in deliberate sin. Hewitt puts it this way. He says the only persons the author of this passage of Scripture can conceivably be talking about is those who have received Christianity as a formulated system of beliefs, but without any personal experience of God and Christ. So in light of that, I want us to look at four different things this morning. First of all, I want us to look at verse number 26 and verse number 27, that there is no remedy for apostasy under the new covenant. There is only terrifying judgment that we find in this passage of Scripture. Verse number 26 and verse number 27, the Bible says this, For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and a fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. There is the condition of apostasy that's taken place here. He said, for if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth. That's important that we understand that, that terminology there. It's, it's speaking of people who have heard about the truth, but have yet to receive that truth as their own. Again, Hewitt makes this statement. The deliberate and continued rejection of Christianity is a decision of the will which acts contrary to, the, to what one would have expected from the knowledge of the truth which has been received. It is people who are willingly and openly and deliberately trampling underfoot the, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Stephen Cole makes this statement. He said, sinning willfully refers to what Numbers chapter 15 and verse number 30 calls a sin of defiance for which there is no sacrifice available. There is a certainty that we find in the latter part of verse number 26 and the beginning of verse number 27. There is a certainty of eternal judgment for those who willingly and deliberately trample underfoot the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of us have known people in our past or have seen people in our past 
who come in and maybe make a profession of faith and that profession of faith seems to last a couple of weeks and then it's gone. Does that not allude back to what the Lord Jesus Christ himself taught about the sower and the seed? That there were some that were going to fall upon thorny ground. There were some that, was, that, that looked as though they were going to spring forth, but yet they did not continue. Why is that? Because it did not get a root in the heart and in the soul. It was a knowledge of the fact of what, was, what had gone on. But uh, there is a certainty of eternal judgment that comes upon those who trample underfoot the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse, 20, uh, verse 26 and, verse, uh, and, and the first part of it, there's no escape. There, there is no longer, in verse, in verse number 26, it said, For we willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. It's talking about those that continue to walk in that willful disobedience understand this you and i know that if we've been saved by the grace of god we sin do we not we 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 do things that are displeasing in the sight of god what happens to us as a believer when we do those things that are displeasing in the sight of god there is immediate conviction there is almost immediate remorse for what we've done. The writer is talking to here those who do not have that remorse, who do not have that, that repentance, who do not uh, carry with them what the child of God carries. And because of that, there is a certainty of eternal judgment if they should walk out having had a head knowledge and they should walk out and not come back and repent of that and truly repent of that, there is eternal judgment in store for them. Just like someone that has never heard or never experienced that, that knowledge of the truth, if you will. And there is no escape. Not only is there no escape in verse number 27, we know that there is no relief. Look at what he says in verse number 27. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. There is no relief. John Piper makes this statement about verse number 27. He said it is a picture of God's wrath. It is a legal picture, it is an emotional picture, and it is a physical picture. It is a legal picture because there is wrath and judgment. That's a legal act from a judge that's passing judgment. It's an emotional picture that there is wrath, in the, that there is a fury of fire. There is a zeal of fire. There's a fiery passion. God is not just a little bit angry, but he's passionately angry at the sinner. And we see that in the latter verse 
of what we read this morning. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Not only that, but it is a physical and material a picture in that the fire is a, a, a consuming fire, if you will. That indignation, that, that, uh, that fiery indignation which shall devour the adversary. So we know that there's no remedy for the apostasy under the new covenant. There is for one that goes away and continues to walk outside of the grace of God, never having, never having the grace of God gotten a hold of them, having a knowledge of the grace of God, but not having the grace of God overtake their heart when they walk out in that fashion there is no remedy for apostasy under the new covenant there's only terrifying judgment but we find in verse number 28 and verse number 29 there is no lessening of judgment under the new covenant look at what he says in verse number 28 and 29 for that he despised Moses' law for that despise, he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite in the spirit of grace. Understand that there is severe judgment. Rejecting Christ, and, and, and this is what people have got to understand, rejecting Christ is far worse than rejecting the law of Moses. To reject Christ, to walk away from Christ, to walk away from the gift that Christ has to offer is far worse than walking away from the law of Moses. In verse number 28, there's severe judgment under the old covenant. The offense is rejecting the law of Moses. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses faced that judgment. But we find that judgment dies without mercy. It must be more severe under the old way because Jesus, or it must be more severe under the new way because Jesus is greater than Moses. Is that not what Hebrews has told us? Yes, He's greater than Moses. He's a better Moses. Then it would only, it would only make sense that the severity of the penalty be far worse for those who reject Christ than those who rejected the law of Moses. It is a more severe judgment under the new covenant. Why? Because there's there we see here there's a clear comparison. How much severer judgment do you think he will deserve? The argument that the apostates from Israel's worship suffered physical death and retribution for their deeds. How much greater would the punishment be for rejecting the Son of God? And that's what he's talking about. 
there are three charges of apostasy. The first charge is a contempt for Christ. It said he trodden underfoot the Son of God. The second charge is a contempt for Christ's sacrifice as it is accepted by God. Look at what he said. Who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he is sanctified an unholy thing. Those who trodden underfoot the, the Son of God are, have entered into apostasy. Those who have not only trodden underfoot, but they've trodden underfoot the sacrifice that was accepted by God. Not only that, the third charge is there's a contempt for the Holy Spirit and His He and has insulted the Spirit of grace. Look at what he says here in verse number 29. How much sorer punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Can I just tell you, this is one of the verses that if you have a problem with the way it's reading, you, you misunderstand what the statement is being made here. But there, if you read just the surface of this verse, there is and seems to be something contrary here. What does he say? He said, wherewith he was sanctified. If you were to take that statement and you were to look at just that statement and you don't look anywhere else in the Word of God, there would be a problem. There's, there, seems to be, there seems to be something contrary here that's saying, that's saying this guy was sanctified. Well, we know that the Word of God tells us we're sanctified by the blood of Christ. We're sanctified by the death of Christ. We're sanctified by those things. We, we know and understand those things in the Word of God. But isn't there somewhere else that talks about someone, an unbeliever, being sanctified? Isn't there another place in the Word of God that talks about an unbelieving spouse? In 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, that talks about an unbelieving spouse being sanctified through the believing spouse? What it's talking about in this passage of Scripture and what you've got to understand here is it's talking about the sanctification that is possible for that person. It's not that they were sanctified. It is that sanctification was possible. It was there. It was at their, it was within their grasp. All they had to do is put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they had not done that. And they walked away unsanctified. But the sanctification was possible. You say, well, we, if we take that one and we apply it and we don't take this literally, well, if you take this one literally, then you have a problem with all the other verses. 
So understand that this passage of Scripture and what the writer is saying here is the possibility of sanctification was there. This person was not sanctified. They were not born again. They were not under the grace of God. This person that is drawing away. And he's talking about that person that draws away and continues to draw away. He's not talking about here, and this is where people misunderstand and misconstrue this passage of Scripture, is that people will take this passage of Scripture and tell you that this is talking about that person that goes out into sin and sins in their life and they live out in that sin or they have a battle with that sin in their life. Every one of us, if we're honest with each other, we have battles in our own lives with particular things, no matter who we are. We face those difficulties, face those times of battling those sins. But understand, he says here, that this person hath trodden underfoot the Son of God. This is not a person just battling with sin. This is a person who has walked away and said, I want nothing to do with the grace of God. This is a person who has said that the grace of God does not do anything for me. I don't want anything to do with it. And they continue to walk in that. And as they continue to walk in that, you and I understand that there remaineth no more sacrifice for them. Why? Because it is not that God cannot save them. It is that they continue to walk in unbelief. It is not that God doesn't have the ability. It's that they will not believe. That's what this passage is talking about. A gentleman by the name of Kent made this statement. He said, it is the work of the Holy Spirit that brings men to Christ and to sanctify them. To apostatize and to reject all such activity, the divine Spirit of God is called the Spirit of Grace. In Zechariah chapter 12 and verse number 10, it is by the grace of God that the work of salvation is prepared in our hearts and that it is carried out in our hearts. You did not go looking for God. God came looking for you. You did not go searching for the grace of God on your own. The grace of God came looking for you. It is the grace of God that was revealed to you. And when the grace of God was revealed to you, if you're born again, you receive that same grace. And in receiving that grace, it is the Spirit of God that that made that work of salvation possible in your heart. You didn't do that. God did. The Spirit of God did. So we understand the grace, the working of salvation was prepared and carried out by the Spirit of God, by the Spirit of grace, which is mentioned here in this passage of Scripture. The writer is talking about what was mentioned in Zechariah, the Spirit of grace. And it's the Spirit of grace that came looking for you and I who are born again, you and I who are saved by the grace of God. 
So we understand from verse number 26 and verse number 27, there's no remedy for apostasy under the new covenant, only terrifying judgment. We understand that there is no lessening of judgment under the new covenant. It becomes worse. Why? Because you're not just trodden underfoot the law of Moses. You're trodden underfoot the Son of God and the sacrifice that God prepared. But understand there are no surprises since the judgment remains the same. Look at what he says in verse number 30. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. We know that we, are, we have a familiarity with the judge. Who is the judge? It's God himself. There are two Old Testament quotes that are made here in this passage of Scripture. In these verses, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Comes from Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 35. And the Lord will judge his people from Deuteronomy chapter 32. And Psalm 135 and verse number 4. Leon Morris makes this statement. The quotations here emphasize that vengeance is a divine prerogative. It is not for man to take it into their own hands. But the emphasis is not on that. It is rather on the certainty that God will act. The wrongdoer cannot hope to go unpunished because avenging wrong is in the hands of none less than God. There will not be an unrepentant sinner that will not face God. You and I will face God. What does the Bible tell us at the end day? What's going to happen? Every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. How? To the glory of God. Every Everyone that has ever drawn a breath at one point will bow a knee. I would a whole lot rather bow that knee now than face God in judgment in that end day. Understand that there is a familiarity of the judge, but there is a fear of the judge. Look at what he says in verse number 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is the text of Scripture that Jonathan Edwards preached the message. He preached a, a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. It is terrifying thing, a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Stephen Cole puts it this way, the only option... The only option is Christ or judgment. You and I know that, that are the, that's the only choices. If we reject Christ as God's sacrifice for our sins, we will face His certain terrifying judgment. 
And you and I know that, and you and I tell others about that. You and I know that because if we are born again, if we're saved by the grace of God, we've recognized that in our life, and we've submitted to the grace of God. To reject Christ willingly, to reject Him willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth is to reject God's only sacrifice. That's what this writer is saying. Those who have heard the truth and walk away from that truth, those who have heard and yet they reject, those who have have heard someone tell them about the grace of God and yet they walk away from that grace of God and they trodden underfoot the Son of God and they trodden underfoot the sacrifice of God that God has been pleased with and they, 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 uh, if you will, they hurt the Spirit of God in rejecting what the Spirit of God offers unto them. If the law of Moses had stiff penalties for regarding it or disregarding it, the penalty will be much greater for spurning the Son of God. We know that God's judgment is certain because His Word tells us of the certainty of it. The only options, once again, is Christ or judgment. If you reject Christ after hearing the gospel and being associated with God's people, you will fall into the hands of the living God. I want to I tie this up so that we understand it and so that we understand who the writer is talking to. This, this falls right behind the verse of Scripture that we looked at last Sunday night where it tells us, what does he tell us in verse number 25? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much more as we see the day approaching. What was the admonition that we got last Sunday night as we looked at that passage of Scripture? The admonition was, the reason that we come together is to exhort one another. It is to lift one another up. It is to present to one another the grace of God. It is to present not only to those who are the saved, but to present to those who may be among us, who may be lost and undone without God, to present to them the grace of God so that they do not find themselves in the situation of this willful sin of rejecting Christ. This willful sin that is mentioned here is not that of believers. It's that of unbelievers. It's those who have heard and yet choose not to listen. Who choose not... They have heard with an ear, but they haven't heard with a heart. They've never submitted. It's not even talking about those that we may know that, that walked for a period of time with God and looked as though they were saved. You and I aren't to question whether or not they are saved. That's up to God. 
But it's not even talking about those who possibly were in church, got out of church, and yet when you sit down and you talk with them and you ask them about salvation, what are they believing about salvation? There are, there's a multitude of people that I know, there's a multitude of people that you know that if you sat down with them today and you talked with them about salvation, they will tell you the only way of salvation is the Lord Jesus Christ. That person has not trodden underfoot the sacrifice of God. That person has not trodden underfoot the Son of God. They have not grieved the Spirit of God. They may still be living in their sin, but that's not the person that's being talked about here. The person that's being talked about here is that person who has come in, has heard, and walked away and said, that's a bunch of hogwash. I don't want anything to do with it. And you and I know those kind of people also that walk away and will say church is a forest, church is a church is a joke. I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want anything to do with God's people. I don't want anything to do with God's sacrifice. Those people that will make light of the sacrifice of God. That's who he's talking about. Every one of us struggle with sin. Every one of us struggle with things and there are those that struggle with it until they die. But they die believing that the only avenue of salvation is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about that one who openly rejects and says, I want nothing to do with it. For that person, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Let's pray.